0: This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So it's my honor to have State Senator Jason Espinosa on with us.
1: Senator, how are you? I'm doing well, Ron. Thank you so much for having me. My
0: pleasure. Thanks for uh, giving us a few minutes to uh, to talk to you today. So uh, the the first thing out of the gate that I want to talk about, uh, well, actually, let's do this. I'm going to let you have the floor for a couple minutes to uh, discuss something that might be something passionate for you right now that you're working on in the State Senate.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I want to make sure that our community is well and that our families have the opportunity to thrive. Uh, So I'm focused on things like public education, on health care and ensuring that our families and our particular seniors have access to health care, focused on uh, housing and ensuring that there's affordable housing all across the state. And then just generally looking at economic prosperity and, uh, ensuring that, that folks have the opportunity to thrive. Uh, so it's a, it's a variety of issues that I'm focused on. Uh, but I'll tell you, if, if we focus on ensuring that our community is well, uh, a lot of the issues that, that we encounter as a state and as a metro area uh, go away. They're resolved. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we have not focused on that in the past, which is why I want to remain focused on that moving forward.
0: And on that note, because I'm uh, not just a host of this show, but also a, a local uh, realtor, uh, the housing situation in Metro Atlanta in particular, well, throughout the state is uh, is pretty dire. But in Metro Atlanta, it's so much worse. There's a piece in the AJC today that really outlines how through the COVID crisis and the housing crunch and the crazy market afterwards, how hard uh, it was for individual buyers to to purchase homes in and around Metro Atlanta. And I saw that firsthand. I right. can't tell you how many times we would be racing to open houses to try and get to see a place and throw in an offer as fast as possible and try and scrounge up as much money to, you know, get an offer over asking price that would, you know, make a seller's eyes pop. And at the end of the day, they're competing against all cash offers uh, in a lot of cases from what we call I-buyers, investing, uh, buyers, investing uh, buyers. Is there anything going on under the gold dome to tackle that?
1: Yeah. You know, I think there's there's a focus on workforce housing. There, there's a focus on affordable housing. Uh, but Ron, you bring up a, a great point about these iBuyers. Uh, I, I think of them as uh, foreign companies from mm-hmm. outside the state uh, who are investing in this state. Uh, and what they're doing is they're not only investing in multifamily housing, they're investing in single family homes. Mm-hmm. And that's making things ex- expensive for a family just starting uh, to, to look for their first home, or uh, seniors looking to downsize. Yep. It's making it impossible for, uh, for, for folks to live in the areas where they work. And one of the things that I'm working on is ensuring that we're giving our municipalities and our counties authority uh, to enforce the laws that are on the books. And the reason I'm I'm looking at that is because our landlord-tenant laws are so favorable to the landlord. Oh, absolutely. It, it actually incentivizes those i buyers to come to Georgia. That's the only reason they're they're in the state is because you know we're near the bottom when it comes to renter protections. Right. Uh, so in order to make things more affordable for uh, single-family home buyers, uh, we also need to make sure. We need to make sure that we're protecting our renters. So, I'm looking at a, a dropping a bill that would give um, counties and, and cities the authority to inspect multifamily apartment complexes if they suspect, if they have reasonable cause to suspect uh, that there's code violations. They don't have that right now. They need probable cause, which is a higher burden. Uh, I'm also looking to drop a bill that um, would allow cities and counties to have, uh, a, a directory of, um, uh, of apartment owners mm. of multi, uh, owners so that these I buyers can't hide behind layers of, of shell companies, uh, to, to avoid liability. Is there an appetite across the
0: aisle to work on something like this?
1: You know, we'll find out. <laughs> I, I, I think you know what I've noticed is, is that there's there's more appetite to to address symptoms versus addressing root causes. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: So no, right. you know, this is this is something that would address a root cause. Uh, so we'll see.
0: Well, Well, and and on that note, it's not just the root cause of of a housing crunch, but also, you know, folks getting pushed into apartment communities because they're not able to purchase uh, a home in the last couple of years into apartment communities. And and again, as you mentioned, you know, landlords are unpoliced basically in this state. And uh, great opinion pieces in the AJC a few weeks back uh, brought a lot of light to this, that a lot of the crime that's happening in Metro Atlanta stems from these uh, these. these multifamily uh, communities, these apartment homes that are in disrepair, that are havens for crime because the criminals know that nobody's watching this place. And so you've got families who want to live in safe housing, who can afford to pay a mortgage on a house, but rent, of course, you're throwing away a ton of money and and eating into somebody else's profit margin anyway. So you're spending more money to stay in something lesser and then finding yourself ensconced in a criminal haven. Right. Right. Totally. And when you have kids, you you have to consider that. You have to consider, well, I, you know, not only do I not want my kids in a dangerous area, but I also don't want my kids to be influenced by folks that could be living in this dangerous area who aren't here to, you know, try and get out the
1: the same way we are. Without a doubt, and and that that has uh, consequences that go beyond those neighborhoods, as you pointed out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm impacts of that we see in our schools, yep. we see in, in crime, we see in um, rising costs of services. I mean, everything stems from not taking care of the most basic uh, human needs. Yep. And when we have these apartment complexes that aren't providing safe and stable housing, there's a ripple effect mm-hmm. that affects us all, yeah. ultimately.
0: Uh, So once again, we're faced with this Buckhead City movement. And what I don't understand is why a guy from Catala, Georgia, who is nowhere near Buckhead, is somehow interested in bringing this up again. Uh, You obviously serve the area uh, of northwest Atlanta and uh, that portion of Fulton County and southeast. Why is this coming up again? And why is it not coming from someone who actually serves the Buckhead
1: community? (laughs) Well, it's coming up again because there's a minority of a uh, small group of residents that that are allowed and they're well resourced that continue to um to hit the drum bang the drum uh that is that is the concept of buckhead city uh the the reality is that the vast majority of people in in buckhead uh, which i represent. Uh, most of Buckhead don't want to separate from the city. Mm. What they really want are, are uh, some issues addressed uh, like crime, uh, like city services, uh, like just generally increasing quality of life. Those are issues that all of Atlanta is interested in. <laughs> it's yeah. just not It's just not uh, folks in Buckhead. yeah uh, So what we see is, that this small group of folks are leveraging their political contacts um, to to make political statements, and that's what I see this bill really being. It's, it's more of a political statement, uh, a distraction of the real issues, unfortunately. And what we're going to do, and when I say we, I mean the the Senate, state senators that actually represent Buckhead. There's three of us: uh-huh. myself, Josh McLaurin, and Sonia Halpern. What we're going to be focused on is is Pointing out the deficiencies uh, that are in the Buckhead City bill, uh, like the fact that it doesn't address schools and what will happen to families uh, who have their children in, in Atlanta public schools, it doesn't uh, – it gives the the mayor, the proposed mayor, and the, the six-person city council outrageous salaries. I know. That, I was going to move to Buckhead
0: to run for city council when I saw that number.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it would be – they would be amongst the highest paid, if not the highest paid city council members and Mm -hmm. mayor uh, in the state, even though the population would not match that. Um, And and so we're going to call out some deficiencies and then we're going to do the obvious, which is highlight the fact that what folks really want to be talking about is how to, uh, how to keep our families safe and how to make sure that their schools uh, are good and that they're living in communities that, are walkable and, uh, stable and, and places where anyone would want to live. And that's ultimately what we all want. Right.
0: This to me is, is, is a lot like a, a hungry cowboy looking at his horse and going, man, I could sure take a bite out of that. It just doesn't make a whole <laughs> lot of sense. The, the cowboy's not getting anywhere without a healthy horse, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so when we first talked, we were going back and forth a little bit. You said that, uh, you guys, uh, were huddling up and trying to tackle the foster care crisis in the state. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so we have a significant issue with our with our foster youth. It's it's an issue where we don't have enough foster parents, and uh, we're having a difficult time finding homes for for the kids that need it. Mm. Uh, and then we're also having uh, an issue with where with where and how we house those children. Right, uh, right now, we're doing something that's called hoteling. Uh, which means that a, a kid who may be in crisis, these are amongst the most challenged children, uh, unfortunately are being kept in hotels for days, weeks, sometimes months. Mm. Uh, not only is it traumatic for, for a child to be in a hotel uh, with a caseworker, essentially, um, but it, it's also extremely expensive. Yeah. So we, we have to do something to... Um, increase the number of homes that are available to our foster youth Mm -hmm. to make adoptions a a more realistic possibility for these children Mm -hmm. and then most importantly ensure that they are getting the mental health supports that they need in order to live healthy lives and that's something that um, we have to address uh, because without addressing that uh, we're going to find ourselves in the same situation Uh, in in the years to come
0: so excuse my ignorance i'm not really up on this um i am a single gay man uh and i'm wondering in the state of georgia are there still obstacles to uh families in the lgbtq plus community uh to partake in fostering and in adopting
1: there there are certainly obstacles even if they're not written in in the law uh there's also obstacles for for folks who are not christian for example uh yeah Uh, you know, there. If if you don't necessarily conform to uh, to the stereotype, yeah. uh, then I, I have I have heard that it is a challenge uh, to be to be a foster parent, and that's something certainly Ron we have to ch- we have to tackle. Absolutely. If it, whether it's uh, a gay man or uh, if it's if it's a Jewish couple. Mm-hmm. If they want to foster, we have plenty of need.
0: Last question I'm going to ask you, and this is kind of like an inside the uh, uh, under the tent sort of thing. This is a a Democratic Party question I have for you. I know you're a treasurer of the state party. Um, So I I have to I'm reading the story about the uh, the the bill that was introduced to to strengthen the penalty for pimps and johns uh, in an era where uh, universally in this country we're trying to uh, tackle, uh, you know, the sex trafficking trade. I'm just curious, you were the lone Democrat vote in the Senate for yep. that measure. Can you explain why you were the only lone Democratic Senate vote for that measure?
1: Yeah, I didn't, well, frankly, I didn't anticipate being the only Democratic vote, but um, I think there's a general hesitancy against mandatory minimums, which sure. I, I completely agree with. And I think that uh, most of my caucus was uh, voting against the bill uh, because of the mandatory minimums involved. Uh-huh. Uh, frankly, I, I voted for it because I, I thought it was important, uh, particularly as we're addressing human trafficking and the exploitation of um, of people uh, in our community. That it was important for us to send a statement and, and ensure that those those folks are, are protected. Uh, too often, we see the folks who are being exploited be the ones that get in trouble the most. Right. And you know that's that was enough for me to to support the the bill. What I've preferred for there not to be mandatory minimums, absolutely. Mm. Uh, but what what gave me a little bit of hope was the fact that there could be judges could go below the one year sentence if the defense and the, and the prosecutor agreed and instances where that's warranted. I'm, I'm confident in our, in our defense attorneys and prosecutors that, that there be be agreement.
0: And I don't, I personally can't conceive of an idea where there's a pimp or a John scenario where they would get in my mind less than the mandatory, but, and I understand the, uh, the importance to mandatory minimums. All right. Yeah. Senator Jason Estevez, I appreciate your time. Always welcome on the show. Please come back anytime you feel like, okay?
1: Well, do. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Jason is something of a rising star in the Democratic Party at the state level. Again, state treasurer for the party, also a former Atlanta Public Schools Board of Education board member and now state senator for District 6. You know, going back to the Pimp John bill, I, I think the only thing I could understand as far as being against mandatory minimums in this case is if you're going to throw someone who is a customer in prison for a year to 10 years just because he or she is seeking out the services of a professional in that realm. I suppose as long as you're not seeking out the business of someone underage or a sex slave, then yeah, I I, I can understand where there might need to be some leniency for the customer, not for the pimp, not at all. Like, I can see no realm in which the pimp should ever get leniency in the judicial process. But that's just my two cents. All right, thanks to Jason for discussing that and other issues.
1: More Ron Show on America One Radio next.